0: welcome to the no shame on you podcast where we talk to mental health professionals educators and advocates no shame on you is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness our goal is for people who need help to seek it for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives
1: welcome to the 30- first episode of the No Shame on You podcast. No Shame on You is an organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising mental health awareness. I'm Wendy Singer, Director of Programming for No Shame on You. We are thrilled to be talking with Heather Bodie. Heather is the Executive Artistic Director of Erasing the Distance. Erasing the Distance is a nonprofit arts organization based in Chicago that uses the power of performance to disarm stigma, educate, spark dialogue, and promote healing surrounding mental health. Since 2005, the organization has been dedicated to creating a space for real people to share stories and their experiences navigating
0: mental health. Heather, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm absolutely pumped to be here today.
1: Well, I had my first experience last week coming to one of your performances, and it was absolutely outstanding and incredibly moving and incredibly inspiring. But I won't steal the show from you because we're going to (laughs) learn all about this from you. Heather, tell us about you.
0: Well, I think it's worth noting how I got Involved with the organization. So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I went to school at the University of Iowa to study theater and music, and my goal all along was to, in some way, build a career in theater, ideally in acting, but I also did a lot of work in directing. So moved to the city of Chicago, got deeply involved with Second City and Improv Olympic and all those sorts of things. Um, and after about eight years or so uh, building a career in acting, which also meant I was waiting tables and nannying and you know all of that stuff in one big soup pot to try to make my cobble an income together. Um, I was pretty burnt out. The, the acting industry can be pretty cruel. And I decided to hit pause on that. And I was at the restaurant one day and a fellow, a coworker came up to me and said, I work with this organization. They're called Erasing the Distance. I want you to audition. I think this part is perfect for you, and I was like, "You know, kind of real, I'm like I've quit, you know <laughs> and she said, "No, no, I really think you will like adore the founder. Her name's Bridget O'Shaughnessy, and I think this part is just absolutely right for you. So I made up every excuse in the book, um she told me a little bit what it was about, and I thought like ah I don't know i don't I don't know if." A, I'm sort of burnt out in general with the industry, but do I really want to go do uh, theater involved with mental health awareness? I don't know. It just, my spark was already lost and that wasn't really lighting the fire. So, you know, she pushed and prodded and signed me up to audition and I went to the audition and it was the most moving and powerful audition room I'd ever been in. Bridget is so caring so thoughtful spent a ton of time with me talked about my experience with uh, mental illness what I just sort of sort of evaluated my understanding of of that environment and the show specifically was about PTSD I auditioned I got call back I got cast opening night of that show uh, there was a whole group of us that told a bunch of different stories from veterans experiences and one woman stood up and tear-filled sort of nodding her head said we bust 25 of our family members here tonight to hear my father's experience and it's the first time there's like four generations of us here and it's the first time any of us have heard what he lived through and it explains so much thank you and i look over in the side of the audience like everyone's nodding their heads and like wiping their tears and i was like this is it i This I will do this. I will do this work for the rest of my life. I was so incredibly moved by how 90 minutes in the theater space changed the dynamic of an entire family. So that was how I was introduced to the organization. from there, I went to them and said, I'll do anything. I know you know me as an actor, but I will direct. I will facilitate conversations. I will collect stories. I'll Are there committees? Can I volunteer? I'll do it all. And and then have been almost entirely dedicated to to erasing the distance since that time. And that will be, oh, my goodness, September of next year will mark 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my
1: gosh. Well, congratulations on that huge milestone. Thanks. And you know, you mentioned your own mental health challenges. I wondered if you would share a little bit with
0: us your story there. Sure. So Erasing the Distance has fundamentally changed my life. When I was first involved with the organization, that story I just shared with you, I knew mental health was important. Did I feel like it directly impacted me or my family. I I don't we didn't talk about it growing up. So I didn't really have the language or understanding to see how my immediate family fit into that. And then as I got to know more people and more stories and more about mental illness, oh my gosh, it was everywhere all around me. It was my immediate family, it was in my friend circles, it was in my friends' fam immediate families. All of a sudden I started to see, truly see, and I think that's part of the stigma in raising awareness, is understanding all that is managing your mental health and all that can be encompassed within experiencing a mental illness or a specific mental health challenge. Once you see all those signs and symptoms and the roots of all of those things, I couldn't not see it. I felt... If someone if I met someone whose life was completely untouched by mental illness, either their eyes and ears weren't open or they were this like I, I couldn't believe they existed. Um, I started to recognize things in my immediate family, which I'm not going to share here, because one of the things um, that we talk about a lot at erasing the distance is sharing your own narrative rather than the people around you that's for them to share so i'll speak specifically to my diagnoses, but i was noticing a lot of symptoms of anxiety depression i've pretty um a major depressive disorder so i have a pretty cyclical like every three sometimes four months if i'm lucky it hits pretty hard and then can last anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks at its worst a couple of months I go in cycles with the anxiety ramping up peaking the depression hitting and then lasting then i feel sort of alive and fully me again until the anxiety peaks again the depression hits and i fall back down i learned at age 33 that i also have a diagnosis of adhd which i believe sort of creates that ramp of the anxiety the total exhaustion and then the pit of depression Once I started treating my ADHD, that totally shifted that anxiety depression cycle. And now more so I'm just on a daily basis, learning about and managing a pretty severe case of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, That is a wild and I'm now saying wonderful journey. It was very complicated and very hard in the beginning. When I first got the diagnosis, I was sitting in my therapist's office and we had been just only talking about anxiety and depression. And she sort of hinted, she was like, would you be willing to do a worksheet, a little quick evaluation? And she handed me this where I was like, yes, anything, whatever, you know, like third panic attack in, the, in our hour long session. I was like, I'll do anything. So I went through this worksheet and I was off the charts, everything I wanted, it was one through 10 and I wanted to put like 11s and 12s. I was putting, Extra exclamation points next to these sentences of symptomatic experiences. And she was, I finished and she goes, You might, I don't know, but you might have ADHD. There's
1: and an inkling he, here.
0: Yeah. Little hint. And as soon as she shared that, my whole life, it was like I did this flashback through grade school, junior high, high school, undergrad, ways my relationships had struggled, the way every job I've ever had, how certain components specifically with my executive functioning have just been abysmal um, and really contributed to a horribly negative image of myself fueled by feedback of I'm lazy. I procrastinate. Why don't I get started earlier? Why can't I get started if I could only just relax? Um, I'm often distracted. People describe me as busy, so busy that I can't keep track of anything. So as soon as that diagnosis came, it, it changed a lot for me. I still struggle with it every day, but now my challenge is explaining it to other people, which is at the heart of what we do at Erasing the Distance. So my work has become my self work. It all sort of, <laughs> you know, it's one giant, the overlap of that Venn diagram is huge. Um, but yeah, now I'm proud to talk about it and to talk about what I live with. I shared at a high school event just a few months, two months ago, and afterwards, one of the high school students came up to me and said, sort of whispered, like, I have the same three diagnoses i was like yeah you do you know we high five um and i told him i said how incredibly wonderful and lucky that someone saw the symptoms that you got this diagnosis 20 years earlier than i did i said oh my gosh i'm so happy for you because now you can start that journey of developing the language of understanding it for yourself explaining it to other people and finding ways to live and thrive with it.
1: Amazing. Amazing. And I think just thank you for, for sharing that story. And before we switch to erasing the distance, could you share with us just some of the things that you do to help you help you navigate your ADHD and mm-hmm. and other and and anxiety and depression. Just what works for you because different things weren't for everybody.
0: It's so true. Healing does not look the same way for any two people. Um, and I would say for me, oh, for me, I think the key to staying healthy is persevering through knowing that I'm going to have to keep trying new things. Because part of what I experience with my ADHD is that new ideas are enormously helpful in the beginning. And then the dopamine feed from them, when the excitement wears off, dwindles so low that now I can't engage with it at all anymore. So it creates a self-talk cycle of, I was doing so well and then I failed, what happened? I was doing so well and then I failed, what happened? I failed again, I failed, I failed, I failed. Um, Which if that's the self-talk, choosing a new thing to help and to manage can feel nearly impossible because you go in with this feeling of inevitable failure. So I've tried to sort of redirect or shift that perspective to say this is what's working for me right now. Right now, a paper calendar works for me. um, And there are weeks when I'm absolutely chaotic and abysmal in the way that I engage with it and other weeks where it's spot on. I would say right now, uh, medication, occasional, uh, occasional medication works for me. I struggle to stay on a regiment because I struggle to keep a routine because I struggle to remember the things on my routine. And oftentimes when I share that with people, I get the feedback of, well, put, you know, put a list on your mirror in the morning. You remember to brush your teeth, don't you? Um, but what I try to convey to them is to give you an example of how quickly my mind shifts. I have a different prescription I wear contacts and I have a different prescription in each of my eyes so I, I wear dailies so I have to open up a new one each day and from the time it takes to get the daily out of the thing up to my eye I have forgotten whether I have the left or right contact on my hand and I would say at least three times a week I put the wrong contacts I switch them and have to take them out and start over even when I'm saying to myself, remember, 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 in that 1.2 seconds it takes to come up to my eye, my brain has already shifted to a new thought. So if, even if I put a sticky on the mirror that says, take your vitamins, because vitamins require me to locate them, open them, select the number of them that are inside, put them into my mouth, go get a glass of water and swallow them, means that the odds of me taking my vitamins each day are pretty low. So I just try to celebrate the days when I do complete the tasks that I had set out to do. I also keep a health journal that is just a log of what I did do. So not a, how good were you or how bad were you or um, it just logs, did I take my vitamins? Um, did I take my medication? Did I drink some water? Did I Oh do some sort of physical activity um did I consume alcohol? and when each day is just a matter of marking whether or not I did or did not do something, what it has allowed me to see is patterns over time so then, after a few months go by, then I paw through this journal and these weeks that are these dead weeks where I logged nothing, all of a sudden, I see this quarterly depression pop up right it's 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 so funny, it's so. Predictable and shocking every time. Yeah. Every three months. I miss two weeks, you know? Like Yeah. It's interesting. Um, Yeah. But it helps me communicate to my um medical providers, helps me communicate to my friends and family, coworkers. So it's more about just knowing what's going on.
1: I think that it is interesting on several several levels, and I appreciate you sharing what works for you. Um So let's pivot back to erasing the distance. Can you tell us how on earth this got started? How did, you know, and my, my biggest question is how did it get started and how do you work with people to be, to, to sharing their stories, you know, the stigma Mm -hmm. about sharing your stories and, um, How does that all work? How did it start? And how do you work with the community
0: and collecting stories? Yeah. In 2005, the founder, Bridget O'Shaughnessy, was working as a teaching artist at Thresholds, which works with members who are living with acute mental illness. And she was teaching them storytelling. So giving them the opportunity to sort of um, build their ability to talk about, celebrate, and perform first-time experiences. Um, That, in conjunction with some things that were going on in her personal life, she found that even though she was working in a mental health facility, she didn't really know a whole lot about mental illness. And it was showing up in her personal life in a way that she didn't feel like there was ever a time she could talk about it. It didn't feel like when you're out at dinner with friends, you know, as everyone goes around and says, how are you? to be able to say, I don't know, I think something really complicated is going on. She said there just wasn't a time. So she felt sort of alone and isolated, like she was the only one moving through this experience. And she, it's so funny to hear her tell the story, she went to the Yellow Pages. It was 2005. She turned to the phone book and went to the T's looking for a therapist and just felt like she was swimming around in the dark. Fast forward, just. Slightly down the road, what went on in her life hit a- ahead. She'd left the job at Thresholds, and she finally, in processing some pretty um, severe pain and grief, started telling people what she'd been experiencing. And as she opened up, every single person she opened up to had some sort of a story, whether it was them or somebody close to them. And she was like, there's something here. There's something going on here. We all want to talk about it and nobody is. So she gathered a group of people to actually at the time the organization had a different name and they put on their first show which was titled Erasing the Distance, uh, The People We Know. And it was a group of people reading their own experiences that they would typed out in the back of a coffee shop in Oak Park. It was about a 40 minute show and the conversation that followed it lasted over two hours with the audience and suddenly it was like okay now we're really and they were like when's the next one when are we going to hear more stories so that's how it was born out of this idea of like we have to find a space and a time to talk about this because everybody has something to say since then and over the past 17 years we've really formed into more of a formal arts organization producing live theater so we do the process works like this people contact us and say i'd like to share my story we connect them with one of our trained story collectors, which is a group of volunteers who go through our methodology training to learn how to sort of stay curious, stay compassionate. They sit down with them in a one-on-one setting and we audio record those interviews. We then transcribe them word for word and we don't clean up any part of it. So if someone coughs or sneezes or um, um, butt, uh, 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 right? Every little bit of what they experienced in the room lands on the page. And then we take those pages and pages of text and transcribe or and then shape the transcription down into a two-page monologue that we then put in the hands of professional actors and then we travel all over the country with those actors and perform in front of high schools college students workplaces faith communities community organizations and then facilitate a conversation afterwards to sort of help people unpack the stigma that they have understand their personal bias and share their individual stories. It's incredible how powerful it is to have not the person who lived it, but to have a performer in the front of the room. We do that for a couple reasons. One, in the beginning of the organization, people really, really, really prioritized anonymity. They would come into our one-on-one private setting and not want the story collector to know their name. So it was really important to them that they could, that their story could impact someone else, but that nobody needed to know it was them. And then folks would go through and even scrub all proper nouns, scrub their name, their locations, their pets' names, right? We would alter those sorts of things to make sure they could remain anonymous. The second reason we do that is because not everyone is a public speaker. And as a matter of fact, public speaking is like high up there on the list of like the top fears that humans have. So just because you lived with mental illness doesn't necessarily mean that you want to speak in front of a large group of people. And it can be re-traumatizing to revisit and revisit and revisit. And the third reason is it actually gives this really cool opportunity for them to sit back and see their words come out of someone else's mouth which i can tell you firsthand because i've shared my story with the organization had someone else perform it it was transformative i wanted things for that woman at the front of the room that i never wanted for myself i felt more compassion for myself i felt like uh, she was minimizing her pain you know (laughs) i had all these feelings for this person in the front of the room who was speaking my exact words um and i could only discover that through that sort of separation. The great irony, we create distance to erase distance. (laughs) And how many
1: stories do you collect in a given year? Does it ebb and flow or how does that work?
0: It does ebb and flow because we wait for people to come to us. We really very, very rarely seek out stories. It's incredibly important to us that people come once they are ready and excited to share what they live with our story collectors are even trained to pick up on signs during a story collection if someone is sort of actively symptomatic or you know they can sense that energy of like oof this isn't feeling comfortable and exciting anymore um, we will we will stop a story collection we'll shelve those stories to make sure that people are sharing truly from a place of being able to look back and and navigate what their journey looked like and how they got to where they are today so um in any given year we can collect anywhere from 5 to 50 stories based on the people who come forward. A typical year probably is more around 10 to 12, so about one a month. We have a wow. library of I always say over 300, but we've really stopped counting. So we're probably close <laughs> it's probably closer to 400 at this point.
1: Wow, okay. And so then
0: my next question is, mm-hmm. do you collect Certain
1: themes of things, or are you open to any kind of story? Um, tell me about that
0: we 've done both so if we 're going into a very curated theatrical process, for example, in two thousand and nineteen we put up a we did an exploration around the criminal justice system in the city of Chicago, so we interviewed. Cops, uh, folks who were incarcerated, informally incarcerated, wrongfully incarcerated, lawyers, prison guards. We tried to uh, just find out the mental health impact of the system as a whole. And once we started doing that, oh my gosh, it was so, so, so big. So that became a series of shows that became one show about first responders and their mental health, and it became another show about one man's journey where he was wrongfully incarcerated for 10 years before he wrote his own case for exoneration and the mental health impact of not only being in there for something he didn't do, but then also transitioning back into society. We went looking for those stories. We knew we wanted to explore the criminal justice system. So we went pinpointing people, often people who were we could find in news articles, right? people who were already openly talking about what they'd experienced and contacted them that way to say, hey, we're working on this project, do you wanna be a part of it? So, so sometimes we're looking for like a targeted theme or angle. We did another project in the past um, about depression in families. So we were looking for an entire family unit that was willing to talk to us in different generations so that we could we had the sort of core story and we wanted to talk to that person's mother and husband and child and cousin and uncle and sort of get what that sphere of depression looked like interestingly enough we thought we went into that project thinking that they were all going to talk about the person's uh the, the core person living with depression and then all of a sudden each of them started talking about their own mental health issues uh, which was, I think, shocking to them and shocking to the core person. And it was the sort of revelation for that family as well. So, um, so yes, yeah, sometimes on a theme, but in general, anybody who has a mental health experience that they'd like to share with us, we'd like to hear it.
1: Sounds good. It sounds good. What, what has feed, you gave a little bit, but I, are there any other particular stories about participant feedback, people who have attended the shows or an attendee, anything else that sticks out in mind that was powerful? I know you shared your own personal experience about hearing your story through someone else, but anything else that comes to mind?
0: I'm most moved by the teens that we perform for. They're an obligatory audience. It's third period health class. Right. Yeah. had no choice but to be there and then one of us hops up on stage and says hey everybody for the next 45 to 50 minutes we're going to talk about mental illness and you can see their heads just sort of sink into their laps they they don't have the option to to walk out right um after almost every single high school performance the teens line up to hug the performers um They ask me for a hug. Sometimes they want to immediately share what they're living with. Um, Thank us for being so honest. Thank us for talking to them in a way that their teachers and parents aren't necessarily. I mean, I'm making a broad stroke assumption there, right? I don't know what's going on in everybody's individual home, but these are just the kind of comments we get. We've had them say like, I don't know, I don't think you understand how badly I needed to hear this today. I've had multiple teens say, I think you saved my life today. Um, It's incredible. The first time that happened, I thought, oh, what a fluke. But now that I've been doing this 10 years, it's a pattern. Um, So that's the stuff I'm most struck by. The way that 45 minutes can absolutely transform the way they understand themselves and their willingness to be advocates for themselves afterwards.
1: Amazing. Amazing. And how how can people get involved with your organization? In what ways? They could share stories?
0: Um, yeah. Are there volunteer opportunities? There are volunteer opportunities. The individuals who collect our stories are a volunteer group. Uh, we also are actively seeking additional uh, members for our board of directors, which is an incredible group of folks um we are looking at developing a mental health advocacy board which it which will function sort of like a a junior board does they'll be about awareness fundraising um, activity, attendance, those sorts of things like just sort of pushing out communications while also we're inviting those individuals to um, contribute blog contribution, any sort of opinion pieces, connections to outside resources so that we can sort of build out the way that individuals can come to our organization and get connected to all kinds of different ways to cope and manage. Um, and then uh, interns were always accepting new interns. We have four incredible interns this fall. I'm really, really excited about that. Um, Let's see, interns, board of directors, artists, actors. We also are regularly looking for new people who want to perform the work. It's not easy. Direct address 10 minute monologues are incredibly hard to memorize and incredibly hard to deliver when you're looking directly into the eyes of the audience. Um, So we're always looking for new talented people who want to be the vessels for those stories.
1: A a question just popped in my mind just in regards to the stories and the collection. Do most of the people who offer their stories, Mm -hmm. do they come to performances or do they not
0: come? Great question. It is absolutely unpredictable. Some people can't wait and will come to the show every night. I come see it multiple times, bringing family members, You know, yeah. others will share their story, walk out of the room and we will never hear them from them again. Sometimes those people, they'll almost always send an email saying like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, but once they've shared, they've sort of, that did, that completed what they'd hoped it would complete and they sort of closed the door there. So. It's totally up to them, and we also. I think it's really important to note that the agency is in the hands of the storyteller from start to finish. So you say you want to share, but five minutes into the interview, you don't want to be there anymore. Fine, you share a complete interview. You go home. You wake up the next morning and think, I wish I hadn't done that. Fine, we'll throw it out. Um, We performed your story for five years. A, a great example, we have an individual who, uh, a trans identified individual who, um, who went through transition and no longer wants us using the story that they shared uh, before their transition. Great, um, it's really up to them at all, at all points of the journey. Um, we are not asking people to sort of sign over what they've experienced and then now it's ours. So I think that's important to know because I think sometimes people are hesitant to share, feeling like, what are you gonna do with my words and my story and where's it gonna go? But um, they can be, and they can be as involved in that process as they want, or as little as they want. So if they really wanna come in and edit down the transcript, and uh, that's entirely up to them. Um, so so yeah, does that answer your question? I hope Yes, it, it does, <laughs> yes it does. That was wonderful.
1: So I know that COVID, affected the theater community and Mm -hmm. it's a whole different world how has that affected erasing the distance and what is coming
0: Mm. in this next
1: round of adventures um, in your organization
0: well as a live performance organization covid put an immediate pause on everything Um, and then at the very same and i'm sure you experienced some of this too with no, at no shame on you at the same time everyone was sort of lots of communication was coming my way looking for answers of how to manage mental health during a pandemic oh my gosh if i had that answer <laughs> you know yes. i was struggling deeply myself i think there was a few months that my mental health directly reflects the I would say activity or lack of activity that was going on within our organization which has been a really really delicate dance for me i'm not sure how you manage this but um i the it's complicated for me to take breaks for myself um, when i'm burnt out or feeling overwhelmed by the work of disarming the stigma around mental illness so it's 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 really it's complicated for me to to ride this fine line of my mental illness is getting in the way of talking about mental illness. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, um, so it was difficult at first, I would say, beautiful, incredible things have been born out of it. We've often, for many years, we have hung our hat on, you've got to be in the same room. And I even use the phrase, share the same air in order for the impact to, to hit as much as we want and know it can when we could no longer share the same air. We did pivot to digital programs and we now have monthly storytelling events on Zoom and 50, 65, 75 people will volunteer to join us on a Tuesday night to have a conversation about mental illness. And they're joining us from New York and Ohio and Indiana. And, People who would have never had the set, that sort of simple capability to come to the theater here in the city of Chicago. So, yeah, I mean, they might
1: not have had the energy. It expands, yeah. it is an opportunity, but also an extreme challenge.
0: Yeah, and it, I think it gave us a really cool window into the fact that some people want to just listen. They don't want to have to put on their clothes and get in their car and come to the theater and pay for a ticket and sit around other people. They wanna sit in their bedroom with their Zoom camera and mic off, just listen, and by the end of it, their camera's on, their mic is on, and they're sharing. I think that is really, really cool and an enormous learning and benefit that came from being forced into that digital space during the pandemic. As for the next 10 years, I think we're going to embrace the things that we were able to explore and have success in digitally, while also expand our thoughts about how we share stories we're no longer a traditional theater company. We will no longer be putting on these sort of two to three week traditional theatrical runs in a space where you come and there's an interview and popcorn, intermission is what I mean to say, intermission and popcorn and all those sorts of things. We won't be having those traditional theater experiences, but we're moving more towards um, immersive museum experiences and also community curated experiences like the one you actually attended uh, just on on May 16th and 17th of, of this month, where we invite other organizations that are disarming stigma through artistic endeavors and artistic expression to present their stories in front of the room alongside our stories, create an open and comfortable. And as I, as I hope you felt sort of like there's some laughter in the space, right? There's some pretty good energy. It's not. Absolutely. absolutely
1: I can attest to that. Everybody who's (laughs) listening, we had some good laughs, which made it even more engaging and comfortable and real.
0: And our big next project that I am unbelievably excited about is building out this october we're going to be building out 10 stories and sort of build them like larger than life to celebrate 10 individuals who live with mental illness through portraiture video work audio Um, museum-like displays, and we're going to be inviting individuals to the ballroom um, on the, I believe it's 30th or 33rd floor of the Blue Cross Blue Shield building downtown this October to sort of walk through the space, hear, live, and experience 10 stories of people who live with mental illness and how it has gifted things into their lives. Wow. I was going to ask about
1: the museum experience, but I think you just answered that with this next project. That sounds incredible. Please invite me.
0: I will. Absolutely. And I'm really um, the ultimate goal with that is to make those that installation mobile so that we can travel to other cities, other spaces, um, maybe even other countries. Who knows? Celebrating what it means to proudly live with mental live with and manage mental illness. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, Well, let's close
1: with this question. Where can listeners find you?
0: What's your website? What's your podcast? Top Absolutely. To so the website is erasingthedistance.org. Our podcast is called One Story at a Time. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, I'm not sure, uh, all, the other, all the other podcast platforms, all of that stuff. Um, and on that, on One Story at a Time, that is the raw, long form sharing of the original interviews. So it's not performances by actors, it is the content we use to transcribe, shape, and form into monologues that we then will hand to actors. So it's cool, it's kind of like a behind the scenes feeling. One story at a time is Sorry. the, when you say, is it the act? Did you say the actor is reading it? No, no it's, it's the, the actual the, people. It's the it's actual the person. interviews. Yeah. So what we've done during the pandemic is expand. The, we've extended the opportunity. When people come to us and say, I want to share my story. We say, do you want to do that on a private one-on-one setting and stay anonymous? Or would you like to be a guest on our podcast? And then they come in and I interview them in the Erasing the Distance style. And the, it becomes, we've, we, we, almost don't edit one bit of it so that it becomes this sort of raw format so you can hear the full setting. So ultimately, the goal with that, if you were to see a show in, um, I don't know, let's say your workplace or in a high school, you see a 10-minute version, you could then go to our podcast and hear the full hour and a half interview with that individual. Amazing.
1: I know what I'll be listening to this weekend. (laughs) Well, Heather, thank you. Thank you for coming. The moment I met you, I knew you were the real deal. And I hope we can stay friends for a long time. And just an honor to speak with you and hear about your amazing work. And um, I know there's a future. There's something going to brew between no
0: shame on you and erasing the distance. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you.